Okay, so we're doing now the Chumash for Thursday of Parsha Kisetse. And it is a very short Chumash. So we have here, as we've had throughout this portion, many, many specific mitzvahs, commandments. So we're starting with verse 25. Verse 25 and 26 is the same commandment, just two different situations of the same commandment. When you come to the vineyard of your friend, you may eat grapes as much as you desire to your fill, but you can't put any in your vessel. Sirach explains that it says when you come to the vineyard of your friend, it's specifically talking about a worker, meaning if I wander into your field, I can't pluck your grapes and take as many as I want. This is talking about a worker. This is talking about a worker that can eat to his fill. Sirach says to his fill, meaning you can't overeat, but you can eat as much as is appropriate. But don't put in your vessels. So Rashi says what we're talking here is about during the time of harvest, meaning it's not that every single time a worker works for you, they're allowed to eat as much as they want, or anything for that matter, from the work. Only during the time of harvest specifically, the Torah is giving a special kindness to the worker as he sees all these beautiful, luscious fruits that he's gathering, very, very, very tempting. So the Torah says, you're allowed to eat. Eat as much as you want. You can't take any home with you. You can't take for your wife or your children. But as you're dealing with these foods, you are allowed to eat them. So if he came to dig or to do any other work prior to the harvest, he can't eat. Only of the fruits he is working with that are being harvested. And in verse 26, we have the same law. When you come to the standing grain of your friend, you can pluck the ears with your hand, but you can't lift a sickle against the standing grains of your friend, which is saying the same thing. We're here talking about a worker who's harvesting the grains, and just like when he harvests the grapes, he can eat as much as he wants. He can't take any home, but he can eat as much as he wants. So all to, also to, so here exact same idea. The next verse, which is a new chapter, chapter 25, we have now a new situation. And this situation is the remainder of this portion of today, all four verses. If a man marries a woman and lives with her, and she doesn't find favor in his eyes because he sees she's immoral, he gives her a bill of divorce, and she leaves. So Rashi says if he finds in her an immoral matter, Rashi explains at this point he's supposed to divorce her. She should not find favor in his eyes. In other words, Rashi's explaining why does the Torah say that he found in her this immoral matter? I mean, there could be any number of reasons why you divorce your wife. But if you find that a woman has loose morals, you're supposed to divorce your wife. The same rules apply for any other reason. If you divorce your wife because... Uh, she always burns your food or doesn't give you supper, you know, if you're allowed to divorce her for that too, if you divorce her, and these same rules would apply. But here, the tire is throwing in, if you find she's immoral, you're supposed to divorce her. So what happens with this woman? So the next verse says, she leaves his house and she goes and marries another man. So Rashi explains another man, well, obviously she married another man. What are we thinking she married? So why does the verse have to say another man? So Rashi explains, this man is another, he's different than the first husband. Because the first husband realized his wife was wicked and he had her leave his house. 
And this man took this woman who's wicked and brought her into the house. So when it says other, it doesn't mean it's not the first man. We understand it's not the first man. But other meaning different in character than the first man. And the next verse, and then the later man, now we're talking about her second husband, hates her and gives her a divorce and sends her from his house. Or the later man, meaning the man she married second, he's going to die. So Rashi explains, the Torah is telling you what's going to happen. If this second husband takes this woman who's immoral, who doesn't behave properly, and he marries her, one of two things are going to happen. Either he's going to end up hating her and divorcing her himself, but if he doesn't, in the end, she's going to bury him. She's going to outlive him. And again, we could ask the same question here we asked in the previous verse. In terms of the law, it's irrelevant why the second husband divorces her. This law is a generic law. We can decontextualize it for any situation. So why does the verse bother saying that then he's going to hate her? Again, the tyrant is teaching us a lesson. If there's a woman who behaved immorally, and he took her in, and he ignored that immoral behavior, and he's marrying this woman, in the end, he's going to be hating her. Now, the final verse here. Her first husband who divorced her cannot take her again to be his wife. Once she has been defiled, it's an abomination to God, and you shouldn't bring sin into the land that God gave you as inheritance. This is the law. So to decontextualize the situation, because there were some details that are not always applicable, but in any situation, if man A divorces his wife and she remarries man B, and then either man B divorces her or man B dies, and she's now free to marry again, she is not allowed to marry man A. Once she married another man, she cannot marry her first husband. Conversely, if a husband and wife get divorced, and then they realize that they really want to be married, and they get married again, neither having gotten married to someone else in the interim. This is considered such a beautiful, beautiful thing that a couple that got divorced comes back together is the most beautiful thing. But if the couple got divorced and the woman married someone else, then it's completely forbidden to ever go back to the first husband. Here there was more window dressing in the story explaining she was immoral, and that's why he divorced her, and since she was immoral, that's why her second husband ended up hating her and divorcing her. That's just to throw in those moral lessons as well. But the law is irrelevant of any specifics. Now, there's also here in this verse a reference to another similar but slightly different situation, as Rashi explains, because the verse says, her first husband who divorced her should not again take her to become his wife once she has been defiled. So what does this woman she has been defiled mean? In other words, when the woman married the second husband, she wasn't defiled. She didn't do anything wrong. There was nothing illicit in her marrying a second husband. And for that matter, the law is applicable if she does or doesn't have any physical relationships with her second husband. That's not the point. Once she's married to another man, she is not allowed to go back to her first husband. No matter what happened between the two of them. And there's no defiling going on here because there's nothing wrong with her having relationships with her second husband. She's married to him. So what are we talking about? Why does the verse say the first husband cannot take her back once she has been defiled? So Rashi explains as phrase, once she has been defiled, is to hint that besides the situation we're talking about, your original wife that married someone else that now wants to remarry you, this also applies to a woman who is 
a soita who secluded herself with a man other than her husband. A soita means a woman suspected of adultery, meaning this is a woman who her husband warned her, you cannot be alone with this and this man. And she and this and this man were found alone together. Nobody knows what happened. Behind closed doors, nobody knows what happened, but they were alone together. So then there's a whole procedure that has to be done to verify and see, did this woman truly commit adultery or not? So according to some commentators on Rashi, Rashi here is talking about a woman suspected of adultery. We don't know if she did it or not. So Rashi is saying literally, what was this woman's crime? She secluded herself with a man other than her husband. She didn't do anything. We don't know if she did anything. Maybe she did something. Maybe she didn't. But as long as she's suspected of adultery, this woman and her husband cannot have relationships, cannot be living together. According to other commentators on Rashi, Rashi is talking about someone who is not suspected of adultery, but truly it has been determined that she committed adultery. So a woman who committed adultery is absolutely forbidden to her husband. So when Rashi says, as we're talking about a Saito who secluded herself with a man other than her husband, Rashi is just using this as a euphemism for saying this woman who committed adultery. But in either case, a woman suspected of adultery, but we're not yet sure, or a woman who's truly, we realize, has committed adultery, in either situation, her husband cannot have any relationships with her until it's determined. Once it's determined that she was completely innocent, of course, they can, and there's many blessings God gives to repair the damage to this marriage. And if she is determined as a woman who committed adultery, then, of course, they can't have relationships. Just as this man, we're talking about in our storyline her, cannot remarry his wife who was married with or without relationships to another man. And that is the Chumash portion of Thursday.